We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. Right, let's open up our Bibles today to Luke chapter 16. We're going to spend a couple of weeks uh, talking about marriage, um, divorce, and remarriage. And what does the Bible say about these things? I would venture to say that there are many marriages that are struggling. There are many marriages that uh, find themselves, even today uh, as Christians, um, not what they should be. Um, they say that half of all marriages end in divorce, 50%. Now, the interesting thing is this. They did a survey, and uh, I know this sounds crazy, you know, but they also do these surveys per 1,000 people, things like that. This seems to be the common one nowadays. And they say that 30% of all atheists that get married end in divorce, but they say 33% of all Christians that get married and in divorce. Doesn't that sound crazy? Now, we know part of the reason is that an atheist oftentimes would rather live together, and therefore the statistics are a little different. But when you consider the fact, and even across the board, that um, Christians have the same divorce marriage ratio than the non-believer, there's something wrong. There's a confusion and not only in, you know, well, whether or not it's right, you know, but what am I supposed to do as a husband? What is my responsibility as a wife? Because what happens when you don't really know what the Bible teaches, then, you know, you just you end up on that on that place in which we understand this. And here's the core issue, you guys. And this is why it's so important for us to understand what the Bible says. Before God invented the government, before God even instituted the church, he instituted the family. The family is in one sense the foundation and the fabric of society, the foundation and fabric of the government. Even in one sense it's the fabric of the church because you can't serve in the ministry if your family's not right. And so that's why it is the target of the enemy to destroy families, to destroy your family. To make husband divorce his wife and wife divorce her husband. You know, to even come to a point in society where, you know what, you know, we don't even need to get married. Let's just live together. It's just a piece of paper. Or, you know, um, it's okay for a, a guy and a guy and a girl and a girl. And all those things are destroying God's model for the family. And the enemy knows that. And this is why we face these issues. And there is so much ungodly counsel out there. You know, I was going online and doing a whole bunch of research and charts and all these types of things, and it just really broke my heart to see the things that are really going on. You know, one of the things that I found online, and I, just the statistics tell us this, is that 50% of all marriages end in divorce, so we, we kind of already know that. But then we also find this, that of the 50% that do survive, 
12.5% of them say, I hate my spouse. 25% of them say, I could take it or leave it. And only 12.5% of all marriages find themselves in a relationship that they love and they are blessed to be in. And so something's wrong. You know, so here we are in Luke chapter 16, and it's not like, you know, I said, okay, I'm going to do this because, you know, this is, you know, an issue. It's where we're at in our text um, in one sense, because look what it says here in Luke 16 in verse 18. It says, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery, and whoever marries her who is divorced from her husband commits adultery. Now, this is just kind of a a trip. You know, you go down to verse 19 through 31. We're going to see this in in a couple of weeks. It's a whole story. And so it's a a really neat, you know, lesson. And then prior to this, you have different things going on. But Jesus, in one sense, is kind of a random verse. It's like, boom, you know, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her is divorced from her husband commits adultery. And so I thought, well, I could just kind of touch on it and then just, you know, jet to the next thing. But then the Lord said, no, Manny, you know, family is so much more important than that. And we as a church, we need to understand what the Bible teaches. You know, when you look at this at face value, it almost seems to say that Jesus is saying that if you're a a man and you've gotten a divorce, you can't be remarried. And if you're a single man, you can't marry a woman who's been divorced. It seems to say that. But here's where we need to take the whole Bible And we're going to touch on this more next week, Lord willing. But just in a nutshell, what Jesus is saying, and when you put the whole Bible together, is whoever unbiblically divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. If you do an unbiblical divorce, you go and you marry another, you commit adultery. Or whoever marries her who is divorced Unbiblically. And so we'll come back to that more later. But if you're wondering, Manny, prove it. Okay, you just go read 1 Corinthians 7, 27, and then 28a. And it says, if you've been loosed from a wife, it's okay to remarry. You don't sin if you remarry. But only if it's a biblical divorce. And so we'll talk about that more next week. But I thought before we get there, I want to give you guys a few things that we, I think, need to understand because we're getting so much counsel from the world and we really need to know what the Bible says about marriage, divorce, and remarriage because we definitely don't want to get this one wrong because it will destroy us as a society. And this is not an exhaustive study on marriage, but what I want to share with you today is just some issues that need to be clarified in order that we would know the bottom line regarding the precepts and principles Regarding marriage, you know, like in the interview right here, you know, you see like a little good and a little bad. And, you know, this one brother, Sergio and James, they were great guys that we ended up talking to. But, you know, one of the guys says, I believe marriage is sacred. Next thing you know, well, I believe, you know, same sex marriage is wrong, but go ahead and let them do it. Go ahead and let them do it. Don't judge them. Don't pick on them. Well, that's not to be our approach. You know, I was telling my kids, you know, we're in a battle. For same-sex marriage. And, you know, I'm getting older and I'm going to pass on to you the next world. When I die, I'm going to leave you this society 
that I have contributed, you know, to. And, and it's kind of like, you know, we look at the battle that's raging regarding same-sex marriage. The, how they're introducing into your children's public school curriculum. They're teaching your kids, they're brainwashing your children that this is okay. What are you going to do about that? Will you pull them out? Will you homeschool them? Will we do anything? Will we pray? Will we fight for what's right? I was telling my son, you know, it doesn't look good. I said, you know, it's kind of like we're in the fourth quarter in this basketball game and we're down by 20 points. But I'm not going to give up, son. And we need to understand what the Bible says regarding all these issues. Sometimes, you know, I, I think, well, everybody knows these things. But then I, I, I come to find that not everybody knows these things. And if you want God to bless your life, if you want God to bless your children, then we need to start doing things right now. According to the standards of the scriptures, and not according to my opinion, or his, or her, or theirs, or even popular opinion, or the political correct view. We need to do things God's way. So I want to share with you guys just a few things today, and then Lord willing, next week we'll finish up, because this is so important. And if you would, let's go over to John chapter 4. We're just going to turn to a few verses and touch on a few things that I think we need to, to mention. And we need to know. You know, one of the things that we need to know, and this will be the first point, is that living together, and by that I mean, you know, girlfriend and boyfriend, living together is sin. It's sin. And it doesn't equate to marriage. You know, they say today, and it depends on what state you live in, it could be five years, it could be seven years. If you're living together long enough, it's this common law marriage. And, you know, and that's again the world's view, but that is not God's view. And we need to know that. Here we have a really cool story in John chapter 4. Most of you know the, the story um, where Jesus was ministering to a woman who was seeking satisfaction in relationships. And, you know, he was traveling uh, to uh, Judea. He needed to go through Samaria. Look what you read in verse 4. He left Judea and departed again, I'm sorry, to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. Why did he need to go through Samaria? Because he wanted to talk to one person. One person. Maybe you're the one person that God wants to talk to today. I mean, my prayer, of course, would always be, Lord, talk to all of us. Lord, rock our worlds. Waken us up, Lord. Change our life. Use our life. But maybe there's one person, especially here today, who's hurting inside, who's dying inside, who wants to die, who's tried everything, but they can't fill the void inside of them. Man, that's the Lord. That's the way the Lord is. You're not here by accident. And you're not here just to come and to leave the same way. God is here. God is here to fill the well of your life and your heart if you would let Him. You know, right here we see that the Lord needed to go through Samaria. And that's another thing, if I could just mention this for a moment. You know, the Jews hated the Samaritans. They hated them. You know, 
um, they considered them racially inferior. They really did. They considered them half-breeds. You know, and sometimes, and I, again, I feel funny almost even saying this, but sometimes Christians are racist. You got a problem with Asian people? You got a problem with African Americans? You got a problem with somebody because of their race, their skin color? Then let me tell you something. You got a problem. That's not God's heart. And if there's any trace of racism inside of you, I beg you to repent. The Lord's not like that. He'll go through Samaria. He loves everybody. He's colorblind. And we need to be the same. He goes through Samaria because he wants to minister to this lady. And, you know, what ends up happening is as he goes through Samaria, he stops at a well and his disciples, they go on to in and out They're going to go get some food down the street, right? And so the Lord is sitting there and this lady comes to the well. It's about 12 in the afternoon, so it's really hot. Most of the women would not come at that time because it's too hot. Most of the women would come early in the morning. They would all come together and they say, Hi, how you doing? How you, you know, oh, I like your skirt, stuff like that. You know how ladies talk, right? But this lady, she wouldn't do that because everybody looked down on her. Everybody was judging her. Everybody thought less of her. And so she found herself, you know what, i got, I got to go when no one else is there because I don't want to see anybody. She goes and the Lord's there. So she's just getting her water. And the Lord says, can I have a drink? And she's like, what are you doing talking to me? I mean, I'm a Samaritan. You're a Jew. I'm a woman. They were looked down on them. You know, Man, why are you talking to me? You know, and maybe you're here today and you might even think the same thing. Why would God talk to me? I'm nobody. To Him, you're everything. To Him, before you ever flung a star into the sky, He thought of you. That's God. You may feel like I'm nothing, but man, I'm telling you, you are. And so He begins to talk to her, and you know, oh man, you know, going back and forth, you know, and then eventually it comes to the point where He tells her, you know, if you would take the water that I would give you, you'll never thirst again. You would never thirst again. And that's what happens when you give your life to Christ. I'm not saying life is easy. I'm not saying that everything from this point forward, you know, there's no more pain or trials or sorrows or anything like that. But I'm telling you this, man, that if you give your life to Christ, you'll never thirst again. He will satisfy you. He will flood your heart. He will give you peace. And so he's having this conversation with this gal right here. And, and so in verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. And Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. But the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. She wanted the water. And the Lord said this, in essence, 
we've got to deal with something first. We've got to deal with something first. You want to be blessed by God? You've got to deal with something first. And so the Lord says, go call your husband. He knows what's going on, right? And so she says, well, Lord, I've, you know, problem is, I, that's, that's a problem for me. I have no husband. And the Lord said, well, you told the truth. I know all about you. I know everything about you. You've had five husbands. Think about that. Elizabeth, was Elizabeth Taylor? She almost had eight husbands. Five husbands. <laughs> and the one that you're with right now, you're just shacking up. You're just living together. And the Lord said, we've got to deal with this. If you have a New Living Translation, it says, for you've had five husbands and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. And I just got to share with you, and I know most of you probably know this, some of you don't know this, you know, but we need to understand this from a crystal clear understanding of what the scripture says, that cohabitation or living together in that sense is wrong, it's sin, and it does not equate to marriage. In spite of what the world says, it's wrong. If you want to serve the Lord, you're here today, maybe you're living together. If you want his blessing, you need to enter into marriage. Or get out of the house. Can't live together. No, now just in case you're here and you're thinking, man, you're picking on me because I've been divorced and you're going to pick on me because I'm shacking up. That's not the case. That's not what's going on. As a matter of fact, here is a woman who's been married five times. She's currently living with her boyfriend. And Jesus goes out of his way to reach her. I mean, Jesus comes to her, you know, and that's what he's doing. He's coming to us and he's going to reach out to us, single and married. And those of you that are struggling in any of these issues, this is not about condemning anyone, but it is about correcting misconceptions that some of us might have that living together is okay. No, it's not. Living together will quench the work that God wants to do in your life. Unfortunately, as time has progressed, less and less people are getting married. More and more people are living together. You know, and I just want to encourage you to know this. Just because it's popular, according to the laws of the land, that's not the heart of God. And in the bottom line, in the end, he alone reveals what's right. And whatever he says is right is always best for us. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, well, financially, I have to do it because financially I won't make it. You know what? That's a lie. God will provide for you. God will bless you. And God can't bless you if you live together. You know, it's kind of funny in pragmatic society. They thought it would be best to live together before you get married. They thought, hey, let's live together to see if it works out, to try it out, to see how she cooks. You know, that kind of stuff, right? Oh, we'll do all this you know what, they thought everything that, you know, if you try it, see if you like it, then you can be sure going into the marriage will have a better chance to succeed. But did you know the statistics tell us that if you live together before you're married, you are less likely to succeed? You see, God knows what's right, and what's right is always best for us. And so we need to know, number one, that cohabitation, living together is wrong, and it does not equate to marriage. Number two, we need to know this, that marriage can only be between a male and female. Do you believe that? 
Are you one of those Christians that say, yeah, I believe it, but for them, just let them be? Then that's wrong. And you can't be that way. Are you a Christian who would vote for a politician who's okay with gay marriage? Then you're wrong. Family is the foundation and fabric of society. And I'd rather be the poorest man on planet Earth who cares about the economy than contribute to the destruction of the family. That's what gay marriage does. God didn't make husband and husband to raise kids. God made mom and dad to raise kids. And we have to understand that. I mean, it almost sounds ridiculous to have to say it, but we live in an age now, in an era, where this is being aggressively challenged. You know, the way things are going right now, same-sex marriages, you know, maybe one day they're going to be recognized by the entire world as valid, but it will never, ever be recognized by God. And therefore, it should never, ever be validated by the children of God. Never. You see, life should never be about what I think is right or what they think is right. Life should always be about what God says is right. Because he has the right to rule in family. He made it. Jay Adams, he's got a great book on marriage and divorce and remarriage. And he said this, Contrary to much contemporary thought and teaching, marriage is not a human expedience. It wasn't devised by man somewhere along the way in the course of human history as a convenient way of sorting out responsibilities for children. Instead, God tells us that he himself, he himself established, instituted, and ordained marriage at the beginning of human history. God designed marriage as a foundational element of all human society. And so as you read the Bible, you find that God established and instituted marriage before there was a church, before there was a government. And what does that tell you? I mean, just stop and think about that for a second. What does it tell you when you open up the pages of the scripture and one of the first things you find is God founding the family? What does that tell you? It tells you how important it is. It should communicate to us the importance of the family because the foundation and fabric of society is the family. And if we mess with marriage, we will destroy our society. J. Adams went on to say, if marriage were of human origin, then human beings would have a right to set it aside. But since God instituted marriage, only he has the right to do so. Nor can marriage be regulated according to human whims. Marriage as an institution is subject to the rules and regulations set down by the president, no, Mr. Jones, set down by who? By God. The governor makes me sick. And it should make you sick. It really should. You know, I'm not being funny when I say God made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve, right? Genesis chapter 1, 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. You see, God would never approve of gay-lesbian marriages for the simple reason that he doesn't approve of the gay and lesbian lifestyle. He loves them, and I love them, and you should love them. You never look down on them. 
right? But what we need to understand is that these choices need to be decided by God. None of us have the right to go against God, no matter how we feel or what our so-called inclination might be. Leviticus 18.22, it says that it's an abomination to God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, it says that the homosexual will not inherit the kingdom of God. Very clear. Turn over to Romans, if you would. Romans chapter 1, it says in verse 26, For this reason God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. You know, I don't know what's going to happen, you guys. I mean, I was talking to my son about this this morning on the way in. He's saying, Dad, you know, isn't it a sign of the last days? You know, that homosexuality becomes more rampant. And I said, yeah, son, you're right. It's always the last stages of a society, whether it was the Greek society, the Roman society, now the American society. You see, and it's across the world. It's a sign of the end of the world. You know, people saying, I don't want God. We got here by evolution, you know. And they teach that in schools. They teach that to your children. They teach your children that they're descendants of animals. And that's why they act like that sometimes. You know? And all I'm saying is that, you know, therefore God gave them up. It's kind of like God said, okay, I'm going to let go. And then, you know, they continue to resist Him. Professing to be wise, they became fools. God let them go. You know, you parents here, okay, Think about it for a second. And hopefully we have some, you know, we have some cool kids and stuff, but some of our kids, they need to be restrained, huh? I mean, you know, when they're little, they will have lollipops for breakfast if you let them, right? And when they get a little older, they will stay up, you know, past their bedtime if you let them, right? They won't brush their teeth. They won't wash their face. They'll get piercings everywhere. You know, next thing you know, they won't come home. you got to restrain them. You gotta be parents. Right? With society, in one sense, that's what's happening now is God is letting go. God is saying, okay, you guys really want to be like that? I'll let you. And what ends up happening? They destroy themselves. You know, I could tell you some things, and oh man, stories that I've read, and I'm sure you've heard. But let me just tell you one. Because you need to know the way that this whole thing unwinds. I read a story just the other day about a man who was arrested for having sex with his dog. Did you guys, did you guys hear about that? And, and it happens. Okay, let me ask you a question. Why is that wrong? Why is that wrong? Because we live in a world right now that says that there are no absolutes, that there's no rights or wrongs. He likes it. She likes it. Who are you to say it's wrong? 
You've got to have absolutes or there's no end to this thing. One day, when that 40-year-old man wants to marry that 8-year-old girl, that 8-year-old little girl, who are you to say that that's wrong? She's okay with it. Her parents are okay with it. The man's okay with it. They all say it's okay. With your type of logic in this world that we live in, there's no right or wrong. And there's no end to this entire thing. And that's why over in other countries, those are exactly the things that take place. You see, there's absolutes. God has told us what's right and wrong. And we've got to understand what the Bible teaches. Clearly, God condemns this sin. Some people say, well, I don't believe it's really right, but, you know, they have the right, you know, to get married. Some Christians believe that way. But they've forgotten this, that rights should be based on what's right. Do you see the relationship? Rights and right. You see the way it works? They've forgotten that. And if God says it's wrong, I'm not going to say it's right. With reasoning like that, here's the thing. We've lost the sanctity of life. That's why you have abortion and euthanasia. And we've lost now the sanctity, the sacredness of holy matrimony. I was reading this thing right here, you know, because people are looking for answers. And I was reading online uh, this uh, website. You guys ever ask questions at yahoo.com? Do you guys ever do that? Don't. Don't do it, okay? <laughs> a 24-year-old girl, she says this. They say that 50% of marriages end in divorce. Does that mean that the other 50% stay together for the rest of their lives? I'm 24 and I'm planning on getting married soon to my amazing fiancé of eight years. I know anything is possible, but is it probable for two people to stay together until death and still love each other and be happy? Does marriage mean anything anymore in society? You know, and that's a valid question. Here was the most popular answer. Okay, they, they voted this the best answer. This girl said this, no. Some will separate and not bother divorcing. Of those that do stay together, some will live unhappily ever after. You know, in the end, and you go through this whole thing, and it just breaks your heart to see the views of marriage now. In the end, this is what this gal right here said, Diane, marriage really used to be something special. I shake my head now, for it is not. That's what's happening, you guys, right in front of our eyes. And we as Christians, we need to know what to do. Listen, I'm not a homophobic. Some say, man, he's a homophobic. No, I want to love them all enough to tell them the truth. I am a theophobic. I fear God. And I love him enough to stand for the truth. And that's where we need to be. I will never vote for a politician who supports abortion or gay marriage. And neither should you. What's Obama going to do in his second term as president, when he doesn't have anything ahead of him to restrain him, at least in his first term, you know, he thought ahead, okay, you know, I got to make sure I don't do it too crazy because I'm going to face re-election. What will he do? You guys, we got to pray. We really got to ask the Lord to raise up men with integrity. 
You see, we need to come back to God and His Word. And we learn, number one, that cohabitation, living together, is sin. And it doesn't equate to marriage. Enter into marriage or get out of the house if you're living together. Secondly, marriage can only be between male and female. And then third, Christians are allowed to marry Christians only. For that, let's go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Well, you might be here and say, well, I don't know for sure if they're a Christian. I think they might be. On Sundays they are, Mondays they aren't. Tuesdays they are, Wednesdays they're not. Thursdays they are. You know what you're doing? You are playing, you're playing Russian roulette. You've got to make sure. 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 14 says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial, or what part is a believer with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. You're here today and you're a Christian. Do you know who you are? You are the temple of God. And I pray you would know how precious that is, how special that is. Whatever you do, we just got done studying the life of Samson. Judges chapter 14 through 17. I encourage you to read it. Man, it's amazing to me the way that he had so much potential. But he threw it away. Because he fell in love with a non-believer. If you go over to Nehemiah real quick, we'll close with this. Nehemiah, you guys know where that book's at, right? How many of you here don't know where Nehemiah is? I, I think it's cool sometimes when you when you're like new believers and they don't know where all the books of the Bible are, and it's actually okay, you know, to have that. But Nehemiah 13, I love what we read. It says in verse 23, In those days I also saw Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. And half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod and could not speak the language of Judah, but spoke according to the language of one or the other people. And check out what Nehemiah did, you guys. So I contended with them. I cursed them. Struck some of them. Pulled out their hair. Isn't that cool? And I made them swear by God, saying, You shall not give your daughters as wives to their sons, nor take their daughters for your sons or yourselves. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations there was no king like him, who was beloved of his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, pagan woman caused even him to sin. Should we then hear of you doing all this great evil, transgressing against our God, by marrying pagan women? Listen, man, if you're a Christian, and maybe you're here today and you're single, and you're, you know, you're like, hey, that guy over there, he's pretty buff, man. You know, I saw his biceps the other day when he wore a tank top, you know, or whatever it is, that girl over there, or that, you know, I, you know, don't sin with your feet and sin with your eyes because you'll sin with your heart. You gotta ask the Lord, Lord, the main thing, is whether or not they're Christians. If not, get out of town. Because you know what's going to happen? You're going to fall in love. But it's not a real love. It's a trap. It's a trap. You know, the thing that's interesting here in Nehemiah 
is he's speaking to the parents. Sometimes parents allow their children to date non-believers. Why would you do that with your kids? You know, I'll tell you what, you know, when a guy wants to take my daughter out, you know, I'm going to make him recite to me the books of the Bible backwards, man. I mean, I am going to make sure he knows the Lord. We've got to do that with our kids, you guys. We've got to know what the Bible teaches because all these things are things that are ruining the fabric and the foundation of our society. If you're here today and you're married and you have a family, I hope you know how precious that is. I hope you know how important that is. God help us to have strong families. Father, we thank you so much for your word and your love and your grace in our life. I thank you for my brothers and sisters here today, the dads that are here, the moms that are here, the husbands that are here, the wives that are here. And I pray they would hear, Lord, how important marriage is. The single people, those that have to make tough decisions, Lord God, pray they wouldn't gamble with their life. And Father God, I pray especially for that woman at the well. I pray especially for that, that one that might be here today who's empty inside, who doesn't really know you, Lord. I pray that today you would change all of that and you would flood their life with your love, your grace, your mercy. And they would know that the God who made them loves them. That the God who made them and loves them died for them on that cross. The God who made them and loved them and died for them on that cross is here right now willing to change their life. I pray, Lord God, that every knee would bow and every tongue confess you as Lord today. And if you're here today and you don't know the Lord, you're not even sure, you just, but you want the Lord. If you want Jesus, He's here for you. But just make this decision today. Say, Lord, I'm willing to turn from my sins. And I'm willing today to trust in you as Lord and Savior of my life. If you do that right here, right now, Everything changes. But you can't mess around. You gotta be serious. And so right now what we're gonna do is we're gonna have communion. I encourage you. Examine your life, talk to the Lord, hold on to the cup, the bread, and we'll partake of communion together. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.